Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Bureau Field Report. I'm Joe Kroger, the creator of the Comic Bureau. Uh, of course, the Comic Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why it still reads in your favorite podcast app, Believe in the Comic Bureau Field Report. And it's not even spelled Believe. E-L-E-A-V. Just the name of the network, folks. Um, and maybe if you guys spread the word, I could grow big enough to do the thing where, you know, I start my own podcast network and I can spell everything correctly. But that aside, let's get to this week's illustrious guest. Uh, what, what, a, what a joy to have this guy uh, here uh, for the show. He is a uh, Groundlings main company member. Uh, he is a comedy store regular. I think a rare distinction to have both. Uh, and he plays Tori on an Insecure. Uh, give it up for Leonard Robinson, everybody. Hey, thank you. What You're is the welcome. sound of one hand clapping? Now we know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, is it as profound as uh, Confucius said it was going to be? No. It, I, it does still feel pretty good, though. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I do it. There's just a natural inclination and I'm not going to let it go. I, I don't care how dumb it seems. Hey, I, yeah, so how are you doing, Leonard? How's quarantine going? Where are you quarantined at? Uh, I'm still in L.A. I haven't left. I probably should have. Um, <laughs> you know, every now and then I'll check in with somebody that are like, yeah, I'm in Hawaii and I've been in Hawaii since March. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. How did you know that? And they started um, a fishing business or something. Yeah, some people are doing great during this pandemic, mm-hmm. and then there's other people that are like, I, you know, like me. I, I haven't really gone out very much. Right. I work out outside occasionally, a couple times a week, mm-hmm. and other than that, I just kind of stay locked in. Right. Um, which, because you're sensible. Well, I mean, uh, I'm married. My wife is very, you know, mm-hmm. you know, very hyper vigilant about it, and. But outside of that, um, I, you know, I start thinking like almost all the things that I want to do, I can't do because, of, you know, right. because they're shut down. So it's like right. then there's really no motivation for me to go anywhere. Right. But did, did you have sort of uh, like I, I think there there's like a fork in the road for a lot of people in comedy where they um, you're getting to this point of like we can't do. And some reckless people like mm-hmm. to think that like, but I can't live without doing comedy in front of people so i'm just gonna do it anyway yeah i mean i'm fortunate in that i'm fortunate in that i move in a lot of different circles oh yeah you do so you know i'm a i'm a groundlings main company member that's you know all we do over there is sketch and improv Mm -hmm. you know a regular at the comedy store like you said and and some other clubs in town right um so those are all shut down and and like you said, I'm series regular on Insecure, which is, you know, coming up. So, you know, I have all kinds of different ways to move and shift my creativity. Right. Part of the lockdown and not trying to go out is trying not to get sick because, you know, we're getting ready to start shooting again. And, you know, I can't test positive because then if I test positive, then I miss my day to shoot. So right. you, you um, write yourself you know. out of the show. Yeah, basically. I mean, it messes up the whole schedule. Everybody gets mad at you. Um, so that's been part of the motivation for that. And, um, you know, unfortunately the schedule keeps getting pushed, pushed, pushed because people get getting sick. But the fortunate thing, you know, during this pandemic is the, 
is the Groundlings, you know, started doing a lot more stuff online. Mm-hmm. And the sketch and improv lends itself a little bit better to the, you know, online Zoom format than right. stand-up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm missing, you know, out 100%. I definitely am feeling it a little bit. Like, yeah, it's not you know, the just same. this thing. Yeah. It's nowhere near close to the same. But at the same time, you know, there's still creativity happening. And I think that's the main thing. Right. You know, the first couple months, I just kind of, I needed a break anyways. Like, I was reaching the point of burnt out. Yeah. Anyways. I always wondered how you did everything that you did, man. Because I, I, people who are members of the Groundlings main company, like, that's their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you put in a lot of hours to do these sketch shows and... And, you know, the only vacation are maybe the, 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 the improv shows. But, yeah, I was, um, I was basically at the Groundlings. I'd be doing a sketch show and an improv show. And then when that ends, I'd run over to the comedy store and do, and do a late night set or, or anywhere else that, you know, I could get booked. So Yeah, yeah the first time I saw you was at uh, Blam 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 in Koreatown in that weird, <laughs> yeah. weird bar. And, yep. yep, you went up super late, but you were super fun, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I was, I think, I think then I was coming from, uh, some groundlings thing. And then, you know, it's like, I'd, I've just been so used to running on, I'd been so used to running on a certain schedule right. that it just didn't matter to me. It's like, you know, between eight and like two in the morning, I'm jam packed. Right. You know, uh, Did you like that? I mean, you said you needed a break, but like, I only ask out of like, I love having it jam packed at night and I'm just rushing mm-hmm. around and there's like, whether that's healthy for you, I don't know, but I love like kind of like just running on adrenaline. Yeah. I think that feeds a lot of the creativity is the adrenaline, you know, that the rush, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like, there's nothing like having a great set and knowing you have another one to get to across town and try and do it again. And, and it's also the same feeling where you're like, you have a, a, a bad set and then you got to rush, rush across town and, and do another set. Cause they're like, oh, now I got to fix this joke. Right. You know, between where I, you know, uh, where I was in Koreatown and then maybe going to the comedy store. I got to try and fix this joke. And like, right. and then you do it. Then it feels like the Olympics, you know, with like dismount, you know, you stick it, yeah, hands in yeah. the air, yeah, yeah, tens yeah. from the judge. You're like, yes, I overcame. So it's like, right. you know, that stand up grind is kind of like, you know, every night is almost like a Rocky movie, you know, with the underdog and mm-hmm. can he make it, you know? Yeah. Um, but doing that and the groundlings, you know, writing sketches and then, and, uh, performing them, you know, you gotta, you know, if you see a show at the groundlings, you know, the, the, the level of production quality is a little bit higher than, you know, a lot higher than a lot of other places. Yeah. There's you know, a we, live we, band. Yeah. We pride ourselves on that, you know, the brand and the, and the band and the rehearsal and yeah. great costumes and, you know, well-rehearsed sketches and things. Right. And, but yeah, I, I had been, you know, I had reached a point where I was just like, I could keep going, but I was felt like I was running on fumes. So I had planned on just taking a little bit of break, just taking a, um, and, and I'm also kind of weird in that respect in the stand up world. I've kind of known for, uh, you know, like the weirdness because I also take breaks, you know, stand up, and most stand ups never take a break. Right. When they, but I would, when they I should. would often, yeah, when you should, yeah. but I would often, I would often, just let it be known like i'm not doing stand-up for like a month or like two months and people right. be like are you crazy it's like i gotta do it i gotta but yeah i would but slowly you- start finding myself going to watch other people which is still not a break um <laughs> yeah, it's not. but i just found that i was always i would i would 
you know, be better if I took a little bit of break and actually, you know, experience the world like a regular human for a little bit. Oh, yeah. I, even in the, the idea that it's not taking a break, like, I, I try to tell this to, it's so ridiculous that I even have to say this, like, tell comedians, like, you know, you have to enjoy this, right? Remember, this is mm -hmm. like fun. This is like supposed mm -hmm. to be fun. And I think it's very important as a comedian to not only do it and work on your craft and oh, yes, that's important, but like seek out the comedy that like where you get to turn off your brain and mm -hmm. that can be very hard, but like when you find it, like just hold on to that and really enjoy it like you're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, I started off in New York. Mm -hmm. So New York has a different grind than LA oh, on yeah. top of that. Right. You know, the thing about New York is like if you're doing if you're not doing three sets at least a night, right. you know, you're on. It's like you're not even a stand up, you know, right. um, you have to do multiple spots a night. Right. Um, but there also there's like a built in lifestyle into that. It's like you're doing spots, you know, you hang out a little bit, maybe have a drink, talk to somebody, go to the next spot, do it right. again. And then, you know, and then whoever your crew is, you might decide to meet up at whatever diner at 1.30 in the morning and then like everybody kind of decompresses, eats, you know, mm -hmm. talk, talk, talk. All right, that's cool. Let's call it a call it a night. Go home, it's go four, to sleep. And it's four or five in the morning. Well, yeah, and yeah, go to sleep and then like 10 in the morning, you know, roll around, think about making breakfast, go back to bed. Mm -hmm. You know, it becomes like this thing um, where I think you start losing perspective of like, what am I doing stand up for? Like I should be writing material and trying to you know earn a living doing these things like sometimes people get caught up in just the lifestyle of it right and um and yeah and and when you're doing that too much you can become on a loop mm -hmm. and to your to your point about like enjoying it like if you stop experiencing life and stop experiencing things mm -hmm. and enjoying things like what are you writing about you, right. you're basically just in a in a in an echo chamber you know, of your own making where you're just kind of like writing arbitrary things that just sound funny, but kind of have no meaning. Right. You know, it becomes less of, it's, it becomes more work, becomes math and not the art of it anymore. You're not really mm -hmm. expressing yourself. What is that quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? If you don't stop every once in a while to smell the roses uh, or to see life, you, life will pass you by. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I thought you were going to go with Bueller. 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 Yep. <laughs> yeah, and leave that as to whatever you want it to mean. Uh, but it's true. I find that when I, when I actually, like, you know, I get very obsessive about a lot of jokes. And, and, and even with the sketch, you know, at the Groundlings, like the same thing, right. you know, I'm always amazed sometimes when I can write a sketch because I'm like, where did that come from? You know, oh, it's because I was out and I saw this dude who looked crazy. Right. right. And I was just like, try to write something like imagine what that guy's world was like. Right. And then I write a sketch, you know, same with jokes. You know, I get obsessive about like what's, you know, perfecting material and trying to grow it. And um, mm -hmm. but, you know, even with that, it's like I don't if I don't experience something, I don't have a, I don't have mm -hmm. a joke. Like right. I'm not the guy that just looks at a jar of peanut butter and like, mm -hmm. oh, that's funny. And write write that. Right. Not no shade to those guys who could do that. That's just not how I write jokes. And, sure. you know. Yeah, that's why it's always interesting. Like there, there are comedians 
that you that like so much of their material is like you know somewhat self-deprecating in so many different shades of that uh, about like how hard they've struggled in their lives whether it's like you know with work or family or whatever and then they get like success mm -hmm. and the next special is like well so i was like in thailand like they have to talk right. about their like <laughs> successful life and yeah. like try to navigate like well all right i don't how do I make this relatable? How do I make it seem like mm -hmm. I'm not a disconnected rich person? I can't remember who I saw at the Laugh Factory, but it's exactly the same story. I, I want to say it was like Chris Tucker, uh -huh. but it it was it was like he was selling jokes on like, man, y'all ever have tax problems where the IRS <laughs> got to sue your ass? I'm like, what if I won't get two million dollars? And I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> the whole crowd is just sitting there like, yeah, man, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, we're we're not. This is a wrong tax bracket, man. <laughs> we're several brackets below that. Y'all y'all know how the IRS put a tax lien on your house? No. No, no. we don't. <laughs> I don't have to spell lean like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um some people figure it out some people like larry david he just leans into it he's like yeah i'm a mm -hmm. rich bastard <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna let everybody know how annoyed at every little thing i am that's the that's the privilege i don't think he's hiding it at all he's like yeah i'm totally privileged i know that and i don't want to let it go ever <laughs> um i want to get into well, uh, more of what you've been doing uh, in this time and what you might be looking forward to uh, when yeah. this horrible time ends. Uh, but let's just get through some news really quick. Okay. So first uh, item I want to get to, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, the company that is effectively a nation. <laughs> you ever wonder that? It's like they make so much money that it probably outshines the GDP of several countries. Yeah, that's deep. They, they, should, yeah. they should think about buying a country. They, I'm sure it's come across Jeff Bezos's mind, <laughs> just like, oh, I should buy a country. Maybe I buy a nuclear bomb. Like, I mean, I can afford all of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they could do whatever they want, include including like as much as most anybody who's anti Amazon, including myself. Like, I I can't. I enjoyed Fleabag very very much both seasons. And so, you know, and transparent was really good. They 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 got a lot of good stuff. Uh, and so this latest thing, I'm wondering, I mean, you know, they're obviously tugging at uh, you know the artsy, artsy sort of art strings. They're gonna have Phoebe Waller Bridge and Donald Glover reboot Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, the 2005 uh, spy action adventure rom com with uh, mm -hmm. Brad Pitt and uh, Angelina Jolie, mm -hmm. not the 50s comedy directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, if anyone cares to know that tidbit. But um, it is, yeah, they're gonna reboot it as a series, not a movie. Uh, and there's no word as to whether they're going to play, the two are gonna play, 
but this very much seems like there were hats in Amazon top brass like conference rooms where they're like, okay, what's an IP that works that made a lot of money and people that are beloved and uh, are very far from being canceled. Uh, okay, <laughs> we, we, Phoebe, Donald, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I wasn't expecting that, but we'll go with that. It does seem kind of like a reach, like a random, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it should be interesting. I mean, if the, especially if those two were involved in the production and the writing of it, mm -hmm. um, could be real interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm interested. I wonder if Doug Lyman's coming back and getting involved with it. I think this is the second time they're trying to do that as a TV show. Right. Um, yeah. They, it was since that pilot. movie. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. No, since the movie, I think this is the, at least the second time they've tried to do it as a TV show. Yeah, I believe it was at CBS they wanted to do it, but it was like a Jordana Brewster and somebody else uh, who was attached. A little fun Len fact. Um, one of my first jobs in Los Angeles was I had a role in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, really? Where, yes. where was it? Um, I was supposed to be like one of these agents, one of these spies that are out looking, you know, like, uh, surveilling them and reporting back to headquarters as to what, what was happening. Right. Um, but the a whole like C story, I was, I guess, involved in whatever the C story was, I guess, for the, got removed from the movie. <laughs> as is common, a common story in Hollywood. So... The funny thing was, uh, well, I mean, a lot of funny things happened with that, with that, with that movie. But when I showed up on set, I was part of like a reshoot um, that happened. That's another thing. If you look that up about the movie, that it was very expensive and way over budget right. and multiple reshoots. So I come in on a reshoot right. um, part and I'm just sitting in a car. I'm just sitting in the van talking a lot of improv, right. um, whatever. I think that's actually the job that got me my SAG card. Right. Um, when I first showed up on set, I get out the, I got parked my car and I, I walk over, never been on a Hollywood set before. I'm uh, looking for somebody who looks important. Mm -hmm. This guy yells at me, get in the van. I was like, uh -huh. oh, um, hi, I'm Leonard. I'm, I'm here for the, uh, he's like, get in the van. I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to go to a wardrobe. I'm, he's like, get in the van. I was like, oh, okay. I get in this van. They drive me up to this house. I get out. I'm the only one there. I get out. Right. I was like, where? He's like, just go have a seat in the back. I'm like, okay. Uh -huh. I go sit behind this house, mm -hmm. which was the house that they shot, um, that they, you know, used for Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's house, right? So I'm sitting in the back of some fold-up chairs. It's just me. Nobody else is around. There's nobody. Right. And I'm sitting in this chair for hours. I'm walking around. Then all of a sudden, my cell phone rings. My agent at the time is like, where the hell are you? Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, they're calling around looking for you. You're like hours, hours late. I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, I'm here. Mm -hmm. She's like, what do you mean you're here? I was like, I don't know. I got out the car. Somebody threw me in the van. And now I'm just sitting in these chairs waiting for somebody to find me, I guess. Mm -hmm. She calls back. All of a sudden, an AD pops up out of nowhere. It's like, so sorry. Don't know how we got you mixed up with the stunt crew. Um, mm -hmm. And then I finally get, you know, brought in and check in. Right. I check in, then it moved me to another holding spot. Right. Where again, it's just me in the trailer, nobody else. Right. Um, I went to Crafty for a second. They're doing some stunt scene in a car. I go to Crafty for a second. I did see Angelina Jolie walk by and grab like 
I don't know, some nuts or something like that. Sure. Uh, the woman is crazy beautiful. I, I mean, just only imagine. I yeah. mean, like, like light beams out of her skin when you, if you're standing in. I've, they often say that film makes you look better. No, this woman looks better in person. Oh, yeah. um, and then I went back to my trailer and I didn't do anything the whole day. Oh, no. <laughs> I spent a whole day just sitting around waiting, right. did nothing. Right. Then they called me back, you know, all right, we got to wait to get you tomorrow. I was like, oh, OK, fine. Then I figure it out and, and shoot the next day. Right. Not to mention that the stunt crew just like, oh, th that's the black that's the black guy, right? Yeah, they just picked they up. should have known. <laughs> then then the thing that makes it worse is years later, I go into audition for something. And, you know, I had Mr. and Mrs. Smith on, on the resume. Mm -hmm. um, again, I was I, I was deleted from the film. Uh, the whole anyways, the whole cease plot was deleted from this film. Like Keith right. David, you know, who Keith David is, uh, yeah, uh, Keith David. you know, Keith David, a uh, black dude in uh, something about Mary, you know, uh, played Mary's dad. And, mm -hmm. you know, fabulous actor. He was also in a movie and he's removed from that C story. As a matter of fact, there's one little scene in Mr. and Mrs. Smith where you see a reflection like from a computer and you can kind of make out his face. That's the only thing they kept of him. <laughs> right? Yeah. So years later, then I go to audition for this, this movie, or maybe it was a pilot. Right. Casting assistants reading my resume. It's like, oh, 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 Mr. and Mrs. Smith, huh? I was like, yeah, it's like my first job. She was like, huh. She leaves the room. Mm -hmm. Then in comes this other guy. Uh -huh. He sits down and I was real interested. Hey, hey, how you doing? What's your name? You know, I don't even remember what this casting director's name is. Uh, I was like, Leonard Robinson. He's like, oh, I worked on Mr. and Mrs. Smith, huh? And I was like, yeah, it was like my first job. Uh -huh. I haven't auditioned yet, mind you. I, I got called in to audition for this thing. I haven't, we're just still talking about my resume. Right. Then he goes, huh, leans in and gets, huh, that's funny because uh, I cast Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And I said, <laughs> and I look back at him, I'm like, well, I didn't meet you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I was like, look, all I know is I got called in. I guess it was part of some reshoot or something. The casting director was a, I think his name was Jay Scully. I was like, I met with Jay Scully. And next thing he's like, huh, oh, okay, okay. So I guess he didn't know that they did some reshoots and they didn't hire him back to recast it. Oh, no. Then he's like, then they're like, okay, well, let's read then. And I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I read and it was just, I was just like, well, thank you for that. That was that was good. Mm -hmm. And I left, and I immediately yeah. called my manager and cursed him out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was one of those uh, those those magic magic words. Oh yeah, we'll let you know. I was so mad. I was so mad mm -hmm. to think that I would lie on the resume and walk into the into walk into the casting office where the lie would immediately be called out. But right. it was and just so much of a mess. Yeah. yeah, double and triple down on it. Yeah. And 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 the fact that he didn't know that there was some recasting going on or that there was a reshoot, I'm like, right. this is just a this is just a bad day. Yeah, but you got to see Angelina Jolie get some nuts. I did see Angelina Jolie get some nuts, and I just thought, dear God. Mm -hmm. they, At first, I, I thought she was okay. When you see her in person, you're like, oh yeah, I'm on board. I'll take all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when when you have that much money and your part of your job is to look that stunning, you can have it 
trainers tell you what to do. You can have personal chefs. You can have all the beauty, pro like it's, dare I say, almost easy. I mean, it, it's hard in that you have to do it. Yeah. But it's not like the rest of us where we got to figure out all this shit. Like, I don't, you know, again, don't know her, didn't even meet her. But when I saw her, and actually, I feel like she had a baby in her arm at the time. She had one of those kids in her, in her, in her arm. And then I remember she grabbed something to eat and just kind of looked up and just gave a little smile. And I was like, oh, oh, uh -huh. oh, my God, too much, too much. Don't look at me. Yeah, that's just too powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Donald and Phoebe doing that. Like the movie is what it is. And I actually enjoyed it very much. I know it got like mixed reviews or whatever, but I think Doug Newman is a very uh, talented, talented action director. Um, watch any of his movies. They're very fun. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, what would this series even be? I was thinking of like, maybe it's a, a bit of like Phoebe EP that HBO series Run which there's another drama called Run, but this has nothing to do with that. There's, you know, a couple that runs their way on a train together after not seeing each other for uh, over a decade. Uh, and then, like, there's the elements of that and, like, what, the This Is America music video? Like, <laughs> that is, what would this even be with those two? Because they're, they're such distinct voices that have nothing to do with the original movie. Yeah. But she also, I, I believe, Phoebe uh, wrote on the next upcoming Bond film. So she did punch up. They wanted they wanted feminist punch up. Oh, on, okay. Yeah, on the new Bond movie because you know there's like you know, Bond isn't really aging well in the era mm -hmm. of me too, you know? Yes, he's he's fucking too much. You too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You tone it down a little bit. Although yeah. when you know, and and they and when uh, Daniel Craig's first one, he I don't think he had sex with anybody in that one. He was all about the business. Oh, is that no. the one? Wait, was that where he get his, his balls hit with that rope? Was that the first one? Um, I don't remember if that's the first one where his first appearance, but yeah, 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 he was all about the business, and that was a terrible scene. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel it in my. I watched that whole so Oh. God, who thought of this? <laughs> Some of the cruelest tortures are so simple. Oh, man, that was the worst. Whoever but, thought of that is like on some next level sickness. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not even about getting information at that point. You just want to hurt somebody. <laughs> <laughs> How could you even talk after, you know? I don't know. But yeah, you would have you would have had me singing mm -hmm. like Anita Baker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What do you all know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I do. I could hit those notes. I could hit those notes. Um, well, we'll have to wait and see. The show isn't set to go in production yet. I think it's supposed to later this year. And uh, you know, it, uh, I'm intrigued just as you are as to see what it is and uh, <laughs> watch it on somebody else's Amazon account. Like I. Have no <laughs> <laughs> um, next uh, item of news. Um, there have been a lot of uh, closures of everything uh, in this time, uh, but performance venues uh, are, uh, you know, have been a big part of that as well. Um, you know, UCB has closed most of their venues, uh, save for UCB Franklin here in Los Angeles. Uh, Improv Olympic in Chicago is closed. Um, K 
Cap City in Austin had announced that we're going to close in September of last year, but the uh, famed Austin Comedy Club is actually going to reopen as Austin is one of the places that uh, they're just doing shows. It's hmm. just open. People are doing stuff. Um, they're going to op- reopen in October. Uh, and then Creek in the Cave, which is a beloved small venue uh, that was in New York City, specifically Long Island City, uh, had to close down uh, because they're just shut down in New York and they couldn't afford it anymore. But they will also be reopening also in Austin. Um, you know, Austin already had a pretty great comedy scene. Um, but you know, Joe Rogan's moved there and got COVID. Chappelle's there with COVID. Like, I wonder what this is going to do in bolstering their scene. And what, I mean, is, are people going to leave once things are going to reopen? I mean, like, you know, what has your experience been with Austin in doing comedy? Or would you want to like go there or like, what's your feelings about it? Well, uh, funny enough, I've been to Austin uh, many times. I've been there a couple times to, to perform. Um, I did an improv festival, I think, uh, years ago down there in Austin and had a great time. Austin's a great city. It's a great place. Um, I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope they do well um, with the comedy. I don't, yeah, I don't know whether or not, I, I can't see Joe Rogan moving back, you know, uh, or any of those other people that moved out, I think they just like it down there and they like that lifestyle and they don't like, you know, they're also on a, you know, they're also a little bit fringy as far as conspiracy theories and and other Mm -hmm. things. So I think that probably suits them better to be out there in Texas than it does to be in LA. And and also he's at such a level where, you know, if you want him, you know, you can fly him out anywhere else. And uh, the other people that work for him or work with him really have no other place to go but to follow him. So, you know, they got to go down there to Texas. But, yeah, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's great that they're back up opening. I mean, Texas is, is its own thing. You know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, as, as you've seen with the covid, you know, Texas and Florida and Georgia, you know, kind of playing by their own rules as it goes. Um, but also the weird thing about Austin is that Austin, in, in, as far as Texas goes, is one of the more liberal, more creative hubs of the whole state, you know, so it's, it's not that big of a difference between like Los Angeles and Austin. Right. But I wonder how it's going to change with like, you know, all these people moving there because they feel like, you know, um, they're too restricted in, you know, LA or New York, uh, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> what popped into my head as you were talking is, you know, is this going to become a canceled ranch where people who work <laughs> just gather? That's funny. Like, yeah. And uh, I mean, and also in truth, guys, unless you're like Bill Cosby, um, you're not really canceled. All those people still do stuff and have fans and make money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, Cosby is truly canceled for sure. Well, I mean, on a technicality, he's technically just locked up. I mean, you still, I think you can still buy the Cosby show if you want to, or or his albums and CDs. He he can't make any money off of it anymore. Um, Well, well, what do you mean? Who's who's got his money? Did he get sued civilly? No, if you're in jail off of like a felony, like you're not allowed to make money off of that anymore. Oh. 
Yeah. Or, well, it's probably his business is probably still open. Somebody's yeah, somebody's the, around the in Cosby there. The Cosby Estate, which I'm sure is they'll probably rename or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still I'm pumping sure that, it out. Yeah, get some money. I, but I'm sure that it has some rights dispute as well as to where yeah. this all goes. Um, but I actually would, think it's great that uh, uh, you know a hub like Austin can grow a little bit more with some with some bigger names going. I, I really feel like decentralizing, you know, a lot of the entertainment is good for everybody. You know, it's good to go to, especially when you hit the road, it's good to know that, you know, there are a lot of great cities that support art and support artists and support comedy and that there's, you know, an infrastructure set up there and a fan base set up there and people who are into it. So you don't feel like you're really dragging people out to experience something new. And, um, right. you know, I think bigger names help the smaller talent, the smaller names in that in that area develop, because mm -hmm. now they also don't feel like they have to leave to make it. They can stay in their area right. and grow and um, and grow that comedy in that area, right. and um, and actually be seen and actually be you know contributing and feel like they're doing something and and and, and make a living. Hopefully, yeah, I think that part of it is great. Now, what do you think about, well, so the Cap City, they're going to open in fall. And I think that and by my estimation, hopefully things will be safe enough where we can gather and do indoor stuff. Maybe we'll see. Um, the Creek in the Cave is actually opening in April uh, on April Fool's Day. Fun. Um, mm. They apparently they're going to have an after stage, so I imagine mm -hmm. they're going to be doing shows outdoors. But what do you think about them doing in person shows right now, especially with like Chappelle got it, Rogan got it, like you know earlier on Brendan Schaub and um, uh, Brian Callen? Yeah, Brian Callen. They both got it from playing shows in Texas. Mm -hmm. What do you think about them doing shows right now? Well. I mean, it's, you know, a, I think there's plenty of time for all these clubs to do whatever they can do to, mm -hmm. you know, increase the precautions, you know, be getting some more, you know, air filters, uh, you know, set up or reconfigure the club a little bit. So there's a little bit more distancing involved. Right. Um, or if you have an outdoor space, you know, build the outdoor space so you can perform in a better, you know, arrangement and a better layout so that it's actually a little bit conducive to comedy right. i mean the, i think the biggest problem well there's two things well because there's such a disinformation campaign out there in the world right now right. that it's easy for people to not really believe it until it hits home sure. and the you know the real unfortunate thing about the covid is that it, it hits everybody so differently mm -hmm. so you know, I hope nobody gets it and catches a real bad one. Right. But um, what we've seen so far is a lot of people catch it and then they're okay. But also a lot of people who've caught it and, and gotten past it and are okay also have a lot of money to put into their health care to making sure that they're okay. Oh, yeah. So there's that. You know, um, we haven't seen the story of like the famous but broke comic or broke, you know, talent who got it. And then, you know, it went way south. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, the show must go on, so to speak. You know, people have to find a way to perform and have to find a way to to keep living and keep doing things. You know, we can't, you know, we can't just say, all right, well, you know, these sectors, you're just not allowed to work until everything is better again. And then these sectors, I guess you can figure it out. 
But you know, Zoom, Zoom stand up doesn't work for everybody. And just like, you know, like I said, at the Groundlings, you know, Zoom improv and, and sketch doesn't work for everybody. Sure. But I think you still have to find a way to keep creating, you know, like they say in, in Jurassic Park, right? Nature finds a way. Yeah. I would extend to that the idea that, you know, the, Trump's response to the virus was so terrible and poor uh, that, like, it's created this situation where, you know, it's like you, you have to find a way because you got to make money as opposed to, like, I mean, we could have just severely locked down like we should have all across the country and then paid everybody to stay home and it would have been much better. Agreed. But they didn't Agreed. do that. And now it's like, you know, I understand because I've talked to the headliners over the past few weeks uh, and like they, they got shows lined up around the country and they're like, look, I mean, I'm going to try to be as safe as I can, but like, I look, I have an opportunity to make money at the thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I do that? And yeah. And, and to your point, like the, you know, the messaging was off from the start, like even with the stimulus check, stop, you know, if they didn't call it a stimulus check, if they just flat out said, look, we are literally paying you people to stay home for a month. This is all we can pay you. But if everyone wears them and, you know, you send a mask in them, if everyone wears this mask, if you have to go out, but other than that, just stay home for the next two months. And here's the check. Hopefully we can get ahead of this. Mm-hmm. And instead it became, you know, what it became, this, this big political bipartisan, mm-hmm. you know, question about rights and totalitarian governments and you know yada 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 right as opposed to this is a damn disease that nobody understands and we need to take some time to understand it so if you don't want to get it and die in the process Mm -hmm. stay home yeah stay home and this isn't about like an infringement on your rights uh to to wear a mask or not this is like well you know people's lives are at stake Nearly half a million uh, Americans have died from COVID at this point. And mm-hmm. I feel like even that number, it's sort of like easy to just sort of distance yourself, just like knowing the number rather than like, I think about every single person that that number represents. Yeah. And some people don't know people that actually passed away and died. And that feeds into the whole you know, uh, you know, window of opportunity for all these conspiracy theorists, you know, and say, you know, that's a hoax and all that other stuff. But I know, you know, a bunch of people who have had family members pass away mm-hmm. um, because because they were careless for the most part. They just were like, this isn't a thing and they don't worry about it. And they got it and spread it to their family members. And, yeah. and you know, and unfortunately they passed off, um, passed on and, um you know, you know, the funniest thing is like, you can't, you know, this is, this is feeds into, you know, Trump's, mm-hmm. you know, the way he, the, the way he operates is like tough talk, you know, makes everything happen. Like, you can't, you can't intimidate a virus. You can't mm-hmm. talk down to it and expect it to go away. Like, it don't care. No, it don't care. As a matter of fact, it, the more, and the more you talk and the louder you talk, the, the more opening you have provided for it to come inside and, mm-hmm. and tell you who's boss. And, yeah. um, yeah. you know, I think the last saving, you know, grace and opportunity he had was when he did get it to be like, Hey guys, I was wrong mm-hmm. and we need to change this thing right now. But instead he came back with like, I'm going to dance I'm, to YMCA guys. Yeah. 
and I'm fine. It's not that bad. Get it. You guys should get it. Not that bad. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, man. And that's it's we're left in the mess that we're in. And you know, thinking about there are a lot of people behind the scenes and in, you know, performers as well. They're like mad at comics that are performing and doing shows. And I'm pretty sure that like when everything comes, when we can do shows in some sort of normalcy, that's going to be a whole mess to figure out of like, people are not going to trust each other. I mean, that's what I suspect anyway, Mm -hmm. but it's like, well, what are you just not going to have your, your dear friend that you thought was so funny, like do your show anymore? Like, you know, where's, where's the accountability going to come in? Where's any reconciliation? I don't know. I, I wish I had any answers. Yeah, it's uh, I have funny stories where I, I do jujitsu, right? And um, mm-hmm. some of the people that I, you know, throughout this pandemic and this time uh, that I do jujitsu with, right. I learned were like hardcore Trump supporters. Um, oh, I mean, that makes and, sense, but that's sad. Yeah, and and then they open up gyms and things like that. What, what makes it difficult is like, you know, you can't really have a political discussion with somebody who can beat you up. And, you know, and, and the whole nature of your relationship is, us trying to beat each other up so it's like right, i don't really right. i don't really have much of a leg to stand on right now because i i know if we i know i know the i know the beating's going to be a little bit harder if i really get you angry so right 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 and it's not it, it the message isn't going to stick if you have them like in like a arm bar and you're like yeah. you know no it's healthcare for all is the way to go yeah and, tap out and, tap out no yeah. they don't tap out they don't tap out <laughs> and then they'll need the health care yeah <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I, you know, I hopefully, I mean, it's, it almost sounds so hippy dippy that we could all kind of, kind of come together and see each other's humanity and maybe there can be some forgiveness and reconciliation, but I don't know, man. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Basically. Stand yeah. back and stand by. Stand back and stand by. Oh, but you know, that's not evidence that you're inciting anything. No. I'm just, I'm just, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm surprised they didn't, in, in Trump's, they didn't sink to the level of um, Fruitless Bush where it's like, what, what does is mean? Right, right. What's Can the we defi- define what, that? Depends what the definition of is is. Yeah, they weren't that smart. <laughs> no, they, they just wanted to have a long montage of fight, fight. Yeah, yeah. Everyone says fight, so, right? There right. you go. It's, they're doing the same thing. Your honor, I resign. I mean, I rest. Wait, which one? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe it'll be like Al Capone and Trump just gets, uh, he gets put in jail for tax fraud. <laughs> tax fraud. Yeah. yeah. They, that's the, you, you know about that, right? Yeah, you, you got him on uh, mail fraud. Mail fraud, right. Mail fraud over everything else. Yeah. Um, so on to you, mm-hmm. Leonard or Len. You like going by Len? Yeah, uh, Leonard's fine. Leonard. All right, fair. Uh, you you run in all these different circles. Yeah. Uh, and you're mentioning, uh, you know, uh, doing virtual shows with mm-hmm. you know uh, the Groundlings and with sketch and improv. Have you done virtual shows with the comedy store or did virtual stand-up shows at all? How do they compare?
Um, it's funny you ask because no, stand up is where I drew the line on virtual shows. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I used to open up for Craig Robinson and, you know, a good friend of mine. And he was, he was hosting shows at the laugh factory, you know, um, they were doing shows, uh, that they were streaming over Instagram live. Yeah. With no audience, he, right? Uh, there was like maybe a, like four or five people in the audience. The people who needed to be there were there. Right. And they would stream it out. And he asked me if, you know, if I wanted to come down and do some, do some spots. And uh, I watched a couple of the shows and I was just like, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. For some reason, that seemed more painful to me than doing improv into Zoom with no, right. with no live audience, you know? Right. The difference is, the way we have it set up now at the Groundlings, um, you know, when we're doing improv shows, you know, we leave our mics on so we can get a little bit of laughter from, from our castmates. Right. But also the chat room on Zoom just lights up when we start doing scenes. Right. And we've learned to kind of like listen to that, so to speak. Oh, interesting. To know that thing for just that little bit of affirmation that things are going well. So that, you know, right. the the audience in the in the chat room really gets activated and they start chatting and having their own world. And so we've kind of developed this whole new format where we want them to be talking, we want them to be active in the chat room, right. um, which is something you normally wouldn't want in a live theater. You don't want people talking, you just want them laughing. Right. Um, so it- yeah, that's kind of where I've drawn the line is just stick to sketch and improv via Zoom. Sure. And that, that that is fascinating to me. Is it like people are giving you suggestions throughout a scene and you guys are just incorporating that? No, we, you know, I mean, before a scene, you know, you take your suggestions and, and that lives in a chat room. But then while we're doing, while we're doing scenes, sometimes people will laugh at what you said and they'll, they'll like type in, you know, the line that you just said, or they'll be like, what, what did they, you know, what does yeah. that mean? You know, right. her name was Wrench. Wrench. Right. What kind of name is Wrench? Right. And they'll just start feeding off each other on that. And I kind of mm-hmm. take that. Some people don't look at the chat, but I have my chat up. And, right. you know, when I see the thing flowing, when I see it going up, it's almost like Instagram live when you see those hearts going. Right. That people are liking what you're saying. And, um, you know, don't try not to feed too much into it. Right. But we just we just know that because of that chat room, we know that, oh, they, this is a viable format and people are enjoying this format because they're participating on all levels. Right. Um, it seems to me and all the improvisers that I've talked to do in this time that like, there is an element of like, you know, we're performing together, mm-hmm. even though it's on Zoom. And that is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as a comment to the community of it. Now, you said you're creating a new form, um, like, what have you had to change in doing improv as you guys do it at Groundlings to make it work on Zoom? Because it's not a one-to-one. Yeah. Well, we, things are, think, well, how do I say this? Things are, they're, they're crazier at times. At the same time, they're more contained. Right. Right. So just you and I, yeah. Like you and I doing a scene right now, like if this was a scene, like we both have headphones on, we both have mics. So like, there's like a little bit of, suspension of disbelief that we'd have to incorporate if we were you just doing a scene framing yeah sometimes you got to keep the framing but then it's also like it's also like you're on tv though improvising except you know there's only one camera you're going to camera b or camera a uh, the whole time 
but you know, I can leave frame. I can, you know, I can pop down. I can, I can change with, you know, the perception, you know, I lean into the camera. Right. I can do All things right. like that. Um, we could also be doing a scene and we could recognize, we could accept that we're, we're in a zoom world sure. or we can pretend like we're not, we can pretend like we're in the same room. And then sometimes we do things like, you know, here, have a drink, you know, and I hand you the drink and then you got to like, oh, hey, thank you. You know, yeah. and it provides like you got it. Uh -huh. So it's been interesting. It's it's changing. Every show has been has been different and um, it, it changes every time. Oh, cool. That's I'm glad you figured that. I'm just curious because all, every team that I, or a person on a team that I talk to, they do just a little bit different. Like some teams, they actually made signs that say and seen and they all mm. raise it. That's fun. Yeah, um, for act outs, some teams I've seen, they literally just draw what they want to act out on a piece of paper and they just hold it up to the camera. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, people have figured out a workaround of this, but there were teams that are like, oh, they just go by their name. Mm -hmm. Because it'd be confusing to switch up names all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like it, it just keeps changing. I think part of what, how we've been successful at the Groundlings is is just accepting that it's a mess sometimes. Right. Not trying to work, not trying to plan for all the contingencies and to make everything mm -hmm. seamlessly clear. Like sometimes there's overlapping. Sometimes right. people turn on their camera by accident and mm -hmm. uh, and they don't mean to be in the scene. You have to accept that, you know. Right. You have to accept somebody, you know, is walking in and they're walking out and you have to know, oh, they're not in the Zoom world. They're in a real, you know, that person was in my room, but not in right. your room. Right, right, right. You know, all these things to figure out. Um, I also directed the first Groundlings Live sketch show that right. we did over Zoom at the the, holidays, during the right? holidays. Yeah, about during the holidays, the holiday show. And that was a big a big task and a big achievement and uh in a whole new format also with that tell me about so, it. so well i mean again we we pitched everything we pitched all our sketches via zoom mm -hmm. you know we you know we wrote via zoom we met up and met you know on, on zoom and 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 like every wrote our sketches like at a set day every week or yeah people would meet up in uh, on their own time and, and write sketches and then we have our own pitch time which is uh you know when is our pitch like a Tuesdays are, are usually when the main company pitches uh, new sketches and we would just do it all via zoom. Right. And then we have, we're, we're fortunate in that we have a, um, an amazing technical director, uh, a man named Scott Bogle, who also works at Disney, um, and a bunch of other places, but I think Disney was his main, um, place of employment, but he was a technical wizard who was able to figure out a lot of the problems and, and, and issues that we might have doing Zoom. So that put us way ahead of everybody. Hey, and cool. and yeah, and then we did it all live via Zoom, which is kind of crazy because we really probably only needed to do it one time and then we could have just <laughs> recorded it and rented it back out. But we just did it live every every Friday and Saturday. Um, you guys wanted something to do, right? Yeah, we want something to do. And that's what we do. We do yeah. live theater, we do live shows. So yeah. for those who don't know that Groundlings, the main company, when they have like uh, their stage show, their main stage show, they usually run it every weekend, like th three times, like like two, twice on Saturday, once on Friday or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, it goes for how long, like seven, eight weeks? Six, eight weeks or so, you yeah. know. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so did you, like in actually doing it rather than taping it and editing it and running it out, 
did you get that feeling again? Yeah. As a matter of fact, a whole new different level of, um, you know, excitement and stuff because, yeah, because, you know, one, the technical obstacle, which we had to figure out. So I, I think I might have, I, to be honest, I feel like I might have overproduced the show a little bit um, like than what so, I needed like, to do. You just had too many transitions and like graphics and stuff? Well, yeah, I had a big opening number, I had a big opening video, I had, you know, big opening credits, you know, welcome to the show, you know, it was a great graphics package, you know, we had right. great tail credits, right. you know, great, you know, scrollings and, uh, you know, cast waves, you know, original songs, um, instead of uh, the band, like the, the band at the Growling would normally be the transition uh, between scenes, you know, we had uh, videos you know, to transition every scene to allow people time to change. Right, right. And, um, and yeah, we just tried to raise it, you know, raise the, the quality up of what you might be seeing at other places mm -hmm. in other Zoom shows. And I, and I think we did that. And the other great thing, like I said, back to the chat, you know, we, we do a lot of what we call structured improvs, which is, are you know, like a character who's improving off of somebody in the audience, like a real person. Right. Great thing about the Zoom is, you know, we can pull somebody up from the audience, turn their video on and talk to them live. Right. And also we can do an improv, a structured improv where we're just talking to people in the chat, mm -hmm. responding to their chats as a character, right. which was great. And because we were on Zoom mm -hmm. um, and not at the theater, we were able to reach an international audience. We had people we had people coming in from like Germany and Brazil and the UK. Right. It was kind of blowing our minds that people were finding us. Um, yeah. that, and is, watching. that has truly been one of the silver linings of virtual comedy is that like people who probably would have to wait until they just were in L.A. or New York actually tune in to see these shows and you mm -hmm. just reach a this wider audience that you're like you guys are into english language comedy out here wow <laughs> yeah that's it's it's really really been amazing you know that made me um <laughs> like engaging with the chat made me think of like i remember the first groundling show i went to somebody was asking a suggestion of a movie and this mm -hmm. one girl kept yelling beaches and the director like kept ignoring her because she didn't want beaches to be a suggestion. And then she just, the girl kept screaming, no beaches, let's do beaches. And she's like, fine, we'll do beaches. Does it, has any, have all of you even seen beaches? No, you haven't, but we're going to do it. I imagine it, it virtually you would just have a whole bit talking to that girl about why she loves beaches so much yeah yeah and the great thing and the great thing about getting the getting the suggestions in the chat or something like that is you know if the suggestion is beaches or or maybe if we don't take beaches we take like uh you know star wars or something like that right. you know if i forget about it i can scroll through the chat while the scene's going on and i can start pulling those references and i can start pulling all those things that mm -hmm. that people didn't get uh addressed and i can start incorporating them in the scene and so now everybody feels included right. and uh, you know it helps feed the information right I mean, one of my one of my cheat moves is when i'm looking for character names i look and see who's watching and i steal somebody's real name oh that's fun and then um yeah i make a character and uh, you know i'll just Right. use their name <laughs> and then that's they and cool. then they usually start then they usually start chatting in the in the chat like oh my god that's my that's my name 
yeah and then they're part of the experience that yeah. that is that's a nice little detail but i think that that's that's powerful man that's very good uh nicely done um so would you say the growlings like in this sort of virtual era comedy they're doing all right yeah yeah actually it's been great um it's been a great time of growth i think in experimentation over at the groundlings and uh and i think also you know probably company wise you know it was it's a good time for us to as able us for time to take a little bit of break and do a little bit of housekeeping i think overall you know right. we've been doing a lot of work in the in a diversity equity inclusion area and space you know we gotta we gotta cut to ask that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we got a consultant uh, working with us on a lot of things with that. Um, for people we were, that don't remember, can you uh, just briefly recap like what sort of happened as there was like a sort of wave of reckonings of all comedy and improv schools? Yeah. Second City, Groundlings, UCB. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of avoided a little bit of that because, because we were already in the middle of it. Right. Oh, and already what do you mean? Look, we already had a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant we were working with pre-pandemic and all that other stuff. It's just that this time off and with all the protests and things like that and all the theaters getting called out, um, it really pushed it to the forefront as, as like the priority and not just another thing that we're doing. Right. So that's pretty much all we're doing right now is right. if we're not doing an improv show or talking about an improv show, we're we're... We're doing that behind the scenes, right. um, which was great. And but yeah, we did get you know there was a piece in the LA Times about you know about us and you know along with UCB and some of the other theaters. Um, but yeah, well, we've been are, in the middle of it, and right. you know we've been able to increase the scholarships that we've been um, you know giving out. We've been able to get some more partnerships. We got a big partnership from Progressive Insurance. Oh, cool. We got a, you know, SNL sponsored basically all the improv theaters. So, you know, we're, we're well, we're well funded as far as, you know, scholarship opportunities. That's lovely Just, to hear. You know, for those of you who are listening to the comedy, you know, to the Bureau, if you're any, any, any type of minority, something, any type of person of color, something, please, you know, mm -hmm. get in the program, take some class, love to see, love to see some more diversity up there. Yeah, that's actually a it is a good time, I think, all around because not only are there SNL diversity scholarships at the ground in other schools as well as Leonard mentioned. Um, there's like there's a, a foundation called Comedy Gives Back, and throughout all of February, they have funds that are specifically for BIPOC. Oh wow! Yeah, that they're just like giving out. Just like go to the ComedyGivesBack.com and just apply. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And and we've been and because Black History Month, I don't know if you're paying attention, like we have um, we've had a bunch of panels. We got a couple panels going on. We did one with the um, mm -hmm. with the seven, uh, you know, black groundlings, you know, the, the only ones that, have, you know, since since the company voted, started voting on members, the only seven to, to have made it. And I'm doing uh, another panel at the end of the month on yeah. the 28th, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Talking about racism and, and sketch and improv comedy with our diversity and inclusion right. consultant, Pavi Tamu. Right. And also all of our improv shows this month have been all black casts, right. which is the first time the Groundlings has ever been able to do or ever thought about doing anything like that. So, right. yeah. you know, I think because of the digital stage format, it makes it easier for us to do that and actually highlight some of the talent we're bringing in. 
Right. Um, Except for just having like the black version whenever that was at Groundlings. Exactly. Yeah. The yeah. black version was like a monthly show. Yeah. And instead of doing like, all right, now every Monday, no, it's like everything that we're doing this month is just that. Yeah. You don't yeah. see anything else that the Groundlings is doing uh, this month, which I think is great. You know, to yeah. their credit, they were like, yeah, we'll take a seat and we'll we'll just showcase folks. And, you know, hopefully this is the start of, um, you know, opening up the stages and celebrating all kinds of voices, which in turn, we hope will attract more people. Right. Is that so all of what you said, I'm assuming that that's all part of the work that you guys have been doing for diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. um, with the panels and the shows and whatnot. Is there anything else that's going on behind the scenes where this all also part of that work? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've had all kinds of conversations about, you know, our process, um, you know, as far as selecting members, you know, voting people in, getting people out, how to, how to, you know, better evaluate people as they matriculate through the program, you know, because the Groundlings is, is, you know, notorious. we're one of the few programs or one of the improv, few improv and sketch schools where we, we, you know, we cut people along the way or ask them to repeat a level or two. And, you know, when you're trying to increase diversity, um, you know, that's something you want to make sure you are on top of and you're not just um, reinforcing unconscious bias and, 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 and creating potholes for, for minorities that you're not aware of. Right. So, you know, we've been very big on digging into that process um, so that we make sure that we, you know, level the playing field for everybody. What, what's like a potential pothole that you guys have avoided? A potential, you mean already fixed or? No, I mean, or I guess either or. I mean, like, you know, it, it, for a lot of people that aren't in comedy or maybe they're only in stand up or only like, or, you know, um, maybe they're just white. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they don't know. Like, I went to UCB had a town hall over Zoom where they just let all minorities talk about their experience yeah and that for like two hours and that was intense so i heard about that cried mm. and like i couldn't believe half of what i even heard especially considering like the, a lot of their people that are on their board for like people that get to join ucb like are uh people of color and they still you know it's were, yeah it's so wild to me because I was also at UCB. I was also a member of UCB early on when they first got to LA. Um, I was on a Herald team um, at UCB um, early on. And, you know, the only other black people at the time were Colton Dunn um, and Wyatt Senek. And they were kind of already gone. They were kind of like already you know, doing all kinds of other work. So they were just, they were like the OGs of the, of the UCB, you know, minorities. That's actually how Wyatt Senek and I met because people kept mixing us up and we looked nothing alike. He's how much taller than you? Wyatt, Wyatt Senek is actually a little shorter than me, but he, I mean, he's like a, a full shade lighter. He's a lot yeah, skinnier, yeah. Right. you know, a deeper voice. Oh yeah. He moves almost in slow motion. He talks in, uh, <laughs> almost in slow motion too. <laughs> you know, we're completely different. Oh, but yeah. the only similar the only similarities we had were that we were two black guys who did improv. And <laughs> cool. I guess people had not seen that enough to to know mm -hmm. there's a difference. Mm -hmm. 
So it was crazy for me because uh, when I left UCB, um, you know, I, I, I can't say that I was necessarily bitter, but I was like, okay, I've had that experience. Um, I guess this isn't for me. Um, after I was, you know, they, they, they reconfigured some Herald teams, you know, I got bumped off and didn't get put back on one, right. was told that I was going to get put, put back on one and never heard from mm -hmm. them again. So I didn't know, you know, what to do, what the process was, right. but again, being a stand-up, also, I was like, all right, great. I did my improv time. I guess mm -hmm. I'll get back on the stand-up grind full-time right. instead of splitting my hours. But then in my time off, you know, they, a lot of things changed. And then um, when I went back to the Groundlings, I also started going back to UCB right. because, they, they, you know, I know that they had a, a good writing program. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, let me – that's the one thing I didn't do at UCB when I first was there was get involved in the writing. I was all about the improv. And then when I show up, I was like, there's a lot of black people here. There's a lot of everything here. It's like, there's a lot of, this is like, oh, wow. Out of, out of nowhere, it seems like they cracked the diversity issue. Right. Like, this is amazing. Right. And then find out they did not necessarily crack the diversity issue, that there were still all these big problems was a, <laughs> was a big surprise to me. I mean. Yeah. What was, what was the thing that stuck out to you that was pointed out as like a surprise? That they could have that many people in their talent pool and yet that they still feel like the 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 elite tiers or whatever at UCB are still dominated by, you know, predominantly white, white yeah. males. Oh, yeah. I was like, I, I didn't know how that was possible, but right. um, I didn't necessarily get get too involved in it, um, you know? Yeah, no, that was that was definitely voiced by several people in that town hall meeting. Um, and they even went into how, like a systemic idea of like, you know, a, a lot of these white performers, you know, uh, come from sort of like middle class to upper class families and they can afford all these classes where like this is like a real risk for a lot of us coming from yeah. uh, brown and black families. And like, you know, I have to work so many jobs to just like do this. Yeah. And then like, you know, I'm trying like, you know, I can't like, you know, I'm as funny as this person, and I, that's always hard because it's subjective. But like, you know, why are they keep keep getting the opportunities where it seems like you only want to pick one of us at a time? You're still engaging yeah. in tokenism. Yeah, and like what I said at the you know in the LA Times article, it's like it's not just a a Groundlings or a UCB problem. It's a it's an entertainment problem. You know, it's like oh, yeah. the state of the entertainment industry problem. It's kind of like a state of the world kind of problem where. Okay. You know the 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 people evaluating uh, you know at the top of the the pyramid, right. you know evaluating it's so dominated by white that yeah it it does become a thing where it's like, well if we're gonna let somebody in they better be super super special, but everyone else can just be all right. Right, and then even I mean that's why there needs to be like a wholesale change in the chain of command. Like I, uh, I, I don't know if you know about this or not, but like with stand up, there are a lot of people who are like bookers or even mm -hmm. casting like there are women. Mm -hmm. They, they are harsher judges on female performers than they are men. Sure. Off sure. Of this like backwards notion that like, oh no, they have to be the best. Yeah. 
No, we were just talking about this the other day at a Groundlings panel where um, I forget who the booker was, but was notorious for only allowing like one woman in a lineup and was like adamant about like women not being funny. Um, and this was, I guess, back in the 80s um, or 90s. I wish I could remember where that spot was. But yeah, that's a thing, too, you know. But I think we see time and time. I mean, it, again, it is it is a subjective kind of thing. But just to put it into perspective, you know, when I was at UCB, I remember when a black guy came in from New York who was like deep in, you know, it was like a UCB New York guy. And I was surprised because there was nobody at UCB New York when I was right. in New York um, except Colton Dunn. But then he left and came to, the, to L.A. Right. And um, that guy was Donald Glover. <laughs> yeah so it's a it's a crazy thing also when you are a, you know a black talent and you're working or a minority talent and you're working you're like you're working on these you know in the business but you're doing this other thing at these theaters where you're not getting paid to do it right you're like why am i not at the top of the you know whatever i'm, I'm getting included in these conversations or you know able to participate mm -hmm. whatever um, but there seems to be a lot of push to grow, um, you know, everybody else, but these, but this minority talent mm -hmm. and you're like, but I'm in, you know, like I'm in the game, so to speak, you know what I mean? Like I was doing a show, I was doing, a, I was on Wild and Out on, you know, while I was at a, on a Herald team in UCB. And then I had to take a break because I, you know, uh, was doing a mini series, had to leave town for three months, right. you know, and then I came back and was just like, this isn't working out. And I'm like, Seems to be working out great for me, but you know, like what? <laughs> yeah. And the other two people who left, you know, were working. It's like I was right. like, why are you making such accommodations for these ladies? You let them go off to write their movie, right? And miss and miss rehearsals to write movies and stuff. But for some reason, if I tell you I have to leave early to to do a stand up set, it's a problem, right? I was like, but you know, I'm not. But I wasn't Casey Wilson and June Raphael. That's you know, they were on the Herald team. Right. You know, if they had to leave to write the movie uh, that they were writing, I think was Bride Wars at the time. Right. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, cool. You can leave early. But it's like. Right. So also, there's yeah. all these biases that are built into a lot of things. And, you know, that probably feeds into, you know, what people believe in, like, as far as like work ethic or mm -hmm. or commitment. And then, yeah. you know, and why people don't have to deal with things like personality problems or, you know, you know, how you're presenting, you know, as a black man, I always have to deal with, am I. Am I looking too intimidating? Like, right. you know, that's not something that you should have to think about. No, you should be able to be however you are. I think I've quoted this on the, uh, before on the podcast. You know Troy Walker, Leonard? I don't. He's a Denver guy that moved to LA as a you know as a stand up. He has this great joke about like he booked a like a Petco commercial, and you know the copies for those sort of things is like real lame. Mm -hmm. just like oh we got great deals on dog food or whatever so he just says that commercial goes to air and then he gets flack from like black people in his life and like man you sound so white <laughs> yeah he's like what what am i supposed to be just like playing dice in the in the back right. rows just like giving people <laughs> free puppies or whatever <laughs> i got the hookup on this rottweiler <laughs> yeah yeah so what type of petco commercial is that supposed to be you know right um and then he says I am black, therefore everything I do is black. That is yeah. how the black experience works. There isn't yeah. any monolith to it. Yeah. 
I think that's so powerful, man. I think I, I wish that w was more uh, communicated, like in, in from both, like to both extremes of just like, no, you stop telling me what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my last UCB story would be like, um, and it's funny because they, they totally kind of forgot about me during my time there. You know, I've not been included. I was not included in a lot of these conversations. And I feel oh, like, wow. Picture, I up, picture up at the wall? Exactly. Don't have my <laughs> photo up, you know. Uh -huh. It's really like seven people that know that I was that I was there. Right. Um, but there were there were several times where I'd be in a scene and I was labeled as the black something. Right. Or something. Like I couldn't just be mm -hmm. the something, you know. I couldn't just be the plumber. You know, it's like I'll label it as the black plumber and the, the worst, the worst offense, I think uh -huh. the worst offense, I believe, was was I remember doing this scene where it was um, a three little pigs set up. Mm -hmm. And so I see the three little pigs set up. Right. I see them in their houses. Right. So, you know, it's only logical that the next entrance should be the big bad wolf. Uh -huh. So I'm out there huffing and puffing. Uh -huh. breathing and I get labeled as some crackhead in an alley. I was like, how, how, <laughs> how, my God, what year was this? This, um, I, I can't remember what year it was. Not but that this it really is, should this, make any difference. This, this is pre, this is pre UCB sunset, but sure. Oh, so this is maybe like 2013 or something. I want to say maybe a little bit before that, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I was, I was pissed. Um, <laughs> like, I was like, I can't get, you know, it's like, it's enough that, and I cannot get enough. It's like, I mean, there's also the other thing about, especially the way UCB does things like their, their teams have to get along and they're kind of like friends and it's very clickish. Right. And it's very kind of like, you know, yeah, you kind of got to, you know, they let, they want to hang out and want to, you know, but there's not necessarily a space for, for you. If you just like, I'm about the work. Right. Um, right. But I just felt like I could not get in. I could not get in with these people and, and nor did I feel like they were trying to get in with me. Right. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, you get labeled a couple of times, like the crackhead in the alley in a three little pig scene or, or like the black president has to, you know, and that's the emphasis on it. It's just like, I don't know if I want to keep going on with this. Do you ever call people out in scenes or just like, no, I'm not the black crackhead. <laughs> just, I think it would be funny if you just broke a rule or broke the scene for the fourth wall and just like, no, 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 no. That's racist and stop doing that. It was so bad that you hear the audience moan when they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they knew. They, they knew. knew. They knew I was the big bad wolf because they're chuckling because I'm out there on the sideline doing deep breathing exercises. Right. Getting ready to blow this house down. Yeah. Oh. These pigs inside are like, what's that noise out there? Oh, some crackhead in the alley. Let's keep talking about what our pigs are doing. Yeah. It's like, oh, Jesus. Ew, that's not good. Uh, well, I'm glad things are going better at Groundlings and things are moving forward. And I hope they keep moving forward as a, as a way where we can get equity between everybody of every background. Um, what, I know you're, we're running out of time here, but I, I would feel remiss if I didn't ask at least something about Insecure. How oh, is, yeah. How is that going? You know, uh, I mean, what, what's it like? I mean, like, just 
producing a show in this time is a feat unto itself. Yeah. I mean, it's going, it's going well so far. I haven't had a, I haven't had a day of shooting yet. I've only been able to do table reads right. um, from home, but the, the reads have been great. They've been very funny scripts. I think people are going to be, you know, really surprised and, uh, and pleased with how it all wraps up. Right. Um, is there gonna, I, is it going to be a thing where it's like, are people on team Molly team Issa or team COVID? <laughs> no. No, no COVID in there at all. At least as far as I've read so far. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I started recurring there on season three, mm-hmm. and wrapping up in season five. Right. So I hope there's a little bit more uh, resolution in my character arc. Right. I believe there's gonna be, you know, some some you're, good you're stuff not, there. You're to all of what you we've been talking about. You're not just a guy about the work. There's more to Torian than just yes. the work. Yes, exactly. They, they've definitely given me some more well-rounded scenes, and I feel really good about that. Um, you get to see the man smile at least once. Because <laughs> I don't remember you smiling at all. <laughs> no, it was kind of like a mistake of a character choice that I just stuck with, and I was like, I guess this is this works. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Because than... I know you as like a stand-up and all your performance in Groundlings, and you're so lively and animated, and then to see you as like Tori. Yeah. Like, Who's this guy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh it's been a journey. I mean, um just you know, I've been blessed and, and fortunate to be part of that that universe and um right. you know, hopefully they'll they'll wrap it up nice and then maybe we can do like a like a insecure movie every 2 years. Right. <laughs> cool. Are you going to do you know if you're going to be on uh Issa's next thing, rap shit? I don't you know what's crazy about that 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 whole universe like all those writers and producers they all have something going on there's so much oh, yeah. stuff happening um almost every one of the writers or producers has their own deal or their own show in development so right. I'm hoping I get a sample of everybody's for the next uh right. 20 years yeah you want, you want your little slice of well you said in my eyes she has like an empire because she has like her own management banner. Oh yeah. She you know, record label. She, she oh, yeah. cosmetics. She's in the cosmetics game now. Yeah. She is a low key mogul. Oh yeah. Well, not even low key anymore. <laughs> That's true. When the NBA <laughs> hits you up, they're like, "All right, we're back, guys, and who we're gonna have represent us?" Easter Ray. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's not low key anymore. I don't know how much uh, she's that awkward black girl anymore. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I think I think if she gets into her own line of alcohol or spirits, mm-hmm. then then maybe we've definitely turned a corner on that one. <laughs> maybe we'll see. We'll see. It's come from more unexpected unexpected places. Uh, like uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd has his own brand of vodka, Crystal's Cold Vodka. What? Yeah. No. And it has so much to do with aliens. Have fun looking that up, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this rabbit hole. Uh, I'll see you in three weeks. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for uh, more of you on uh, season five of Insecure and uh, checking out virtual groundling shows and whenever they can happen live and seeing you uh, do stand up uh, around town and I guess around the country when that can happen. Um, that's been our time. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I appreciate it. Big supporter of Comedy Bureau. So thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to promote? Where can people find you? 
Um, I'm only on Instagram uh, at I am Leonard Robinson. Um, You're on oh, actually, I take I take that back. I just signed up for Clubhouse. Uh, I occasionally pop up on Clubhouse. Yeah, I'm yeah. still a little bit mixed. Um, Randall Park and I have been have been trying to do little rooms and and start start regular. So keep an it's eye like, out for that. Like a room with no title. Well, right now we're calling it Good Talking. So Good talking. keep a okay. keep keep an eye out for that on Clubhouse. All right. We might do one. I don't know if it. Right now we're random. Right now we're just randomly doing them to see if we like it. Um, okay. With the, with the end goal of maybe making making it a a real podcast. So. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, using Clubhouse as a test ground for podcasts. That that could be good. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. And, and where can people find you on Instagram? At I am Leonard. I A M Leonard Robinson. All right, so give Leonard a follow there. If you are on Clubhouse, check him out. You can actually follow me at Jake Kroger uh, on Clubhouse, and I uh, do uh, office hours for comedy where you know, you know we try to solve all of comedy's problems in two hours. Oh, great! Uh, every, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. I even got a comic from India chime in yesterday uh, and about doing comedy at the during the biggest protest in human history. Oh, wow. So much censorship in India. It, it, what, could, what could go wrong? What could go wrong between <laughs> Hindus and Muslims? Um, everything. Uh, you can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across socials. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket and at, on Twitter at MFJake. Kroger. There are a lot of great causes to support this time, and I ask you to support those, but if you have money and generosity left after that, please support the Comedy Bureau, because it's just me running it. Um, and would, do you have anything uh, you'd like to say as we sign off here, Leonard? Hey, no, be safe out there and, you know, find a laugh where you can. Right. Uh, as I like to say at the end of every episode, comedy is still happening, and as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it! Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.